welcome everybody to the 165th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I am Daryl Schooler, an analyst there, and with me as always is Roger Intner. Roger, please say hello. Hey, how are you? So with us today, we've joined with us, we're very excited, as Luke Shaw. He is Vice President at Samsung Networks for Network Strategy, Business Development, and Marketing. Please say hello, Luke. Hi, Daryl. Hi, Roger. I hope you're all doing well. Thanks for having me. It's very exciting. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thank you. We're certainly very excited to have you with us as well. So for the listeners, could you please you know, introduce yourself and spend a few minutes just talking about your role there at Samsung Networks? Sure. Samsung Networks is a meaningful player in the, in the mobile infrastructure space. I have responsibility for strategy, business development, marketing partnerships in the U.S. I've been with the company for 12 years. We've, we've gone on quite a journey. And in 5G, it's, it's been uh, pretty exciting. Let me ask you. So, I mean, I haven't followed your company for years. I mean, I know, obviously, and for people don't realize, I mean, you know, you had definitely some initial wins in 3G, even more success in 4G. And now with 5G, you continue to grow the company. You obviously have some you know, momentum going there. And part of it really has been around your commitment around open RAN and virtual or cloud RAN. Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, especially recently more about the Open and the VRAN, what you're doing there, and certainly, you know, some of the recent wins that I've seen in the news as well? Absolutely. Samsung Networks has been in the space for over uh, over 40 years, but we continue to view ourselves as a challenger. And so our approach to the market has always been to leapfrog the current technology landscape and meet operators where they want to go. And what we found in this 5G cycle first was a lot of interest in being early to market with 5G. And so we worked with a number of operators around the world to achieve that. And then now we've seen this additional potential disruption in the 5G cycle centered around open RAN and virtualized RAN. And these are areas where we've invested heavily for Samsung to be the leader. We're, we're quite widely acknowledged as the leader in the space, both for open RAN and for virtualized RAN. We have signature wins with a number of operators, both Greenfield and Brownfield. So on the Greenfield side, we've been working with Dish Network. There was an announcement made spring of, of last year, and, and now that network is launched. Uh, you know, I think you all have talked uh, on past shows about how Dish has built this network to be quite flexible and, and from the ground up to be all 5G. On the Brownfield side, we have wins with a number of operators in the VRAN and ORAN space, Verizon Wireless here in the US, Vodafone in the UK, KDDI and Docomo in Japan, uh, and sort of the list goes on and on, right? So we're quite excited about our position there. And, and it really comes from the fact that as a challenger, we have to find our, our, our niche to, to be able to meet an operator with the technology direction and the overall architecture that they're looking for. So open RAN, VRAN, those terms get used a lot. And sometimes I think they're used interchangeably or people treat them almost as they're the exact same thing. Can you speak to that? I mean, how, how do you define open RAN versus virtual or cloud RAN? And also at the same time, in terms of 
how are different operators, Greenfield versus Brownfield, looking at the two? Yeah, we, we view them as two different architectural evolutions. There are certainly times where an operator will choose to adopt both, especially in a Greenfield scenario where you're building a gra- you know, from the ground up. You might as well use the latest and greatest technologies as you, as you develop your network. For Brownfield operators, we've found that uh, each operator is a bit unique. Some want to leverage that virtualization architecture and move to the cloud-native approach more quickly. And then others want to move to open interfaces before they're ready to move away from traditional BBU. And, and so it really has varied quite a bit. We find now more and more operators are adopting both at once, even in, in the brownfield. But, but especially early on, there were scenarios where an operator would choose one or the other with the expectation that eventually they would, they would move to both technologies. So, so it's safe to say, I would guess, that when it comes to that question in terms of which path an operator takes, it's the classic wireless answer of it all depends. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a fair assessment. Yeah, every operator is trying to optimize for something different, right? Sometimes it's around optionality, or sometimes it's, it's around having multiple vendors in your network. Sometimes it's centered around disaggregating your BBU and taking advantage of the flexibility that comes from a containerized cloud-native software base, right? And so we're flexible in that regard. We have a broad ecosystem of partners that we work with across radios and baseband platform, container-as-a-service platform, servers. So, so we feel like we've built a, a very broad ecosystem to help the operator solve what they're looking to solve for. So with that, let's, I'm going to talk a little bit more about, you know, Open RAN and get your thoughts on this. I mean, so originally when the topic of Open RAN first started coming around, there was this view or image that was pitched of it where basically everything would be software, the DU, CU, the classic BBU part of it that could just be put on any type of server out there and then all the operators would be mixing and matching different radios with different software vendors. And that was kind of the, the approach or the vision that was originally sold with it. But as people have observed this marketing going, right now it seems like a lot more of the current momentum is really around more a single vendor stack approach where or, you, know, you have the same radio vendor as you do, say, for the software vendor. But at the same time, though, you know, I keep hearing other people say, well, if they're doing that, that's not really open RAN. While other people talk about saying, myself included, well, if it supports the open interfaces, then it is open RAN. Do you have or does Samsung have a position on this? And at the same time, also, how do you see that evolving over time? I mean, is that vision that was originally given around open RAN where everything is software and People are just buying radios from catalogs and stringing them up there. Is that really a realistic outcome of this? Or what more do you actually think? Or how do you actually vision it really evolving and looking like, say, down the road? Well, we, we absolutely have a position. It's pretty well aligned with yours, Daryl. We believe that if equipment supports the ORAN Alliance front hall standard, right, which is 7-2X today, then it's an ORAN compliant solution. The, the reality is that it's, it's a lot to bite off a, a multi-vendor 
fully flexible architecture. And especially if an operator is at the same time moving to a disaggregated cloud native baseband, right? It's just, there's a lot of moving parts. And so what we found is that many operators of the brownfield variety prefer to do things in phases. And that seems very natural, very rational. So we'll see them move to a a VDU and a VCU, right? Uh, This virtualized architecture and move to an ORAN compliant front hall interface with 7-2, but not take the step of mixing and matching radio vendors with the baseband software vendor. And, And to me, that makes a lot of sense. You just do things in phases. You give yourself the optionality so that down the road, if you want to introduce a new radio vendor or if there's a band that you want to put to use that your primary supplier doesn't offer, you know, then you have the ability to bring in another product that uses that same interface and go through the integration effort. It, it's not plug and play today. I think that's, that's sort of a, a, an oversimplification of, of the reality of building a RAN. You know, even with open interfaces, there is testing required. And so this is something that operators are working through. It, it's definitely a solvable phenomenon, right? We've done this with a number of operators around the world over and over again. It requires some work from all parties, but very, very achievable. Yeah, when when I look at, at, at Open RAN, right, I think the, the initial ideas were a little bit naive because, yes, Open RAN means you have open interface standards. And that's just the beginning of the journey, right? It's like we've seen it with with Dish who, who went down that road and went through a very painful, bloody process and changed out various vendors because the interoperability, they did not work well together, right? And even with like Rakuten, apparently there's like this Babelfish interface with the uh, at, at the RAN part, right? It's an incredibly tough thing. And when you have one throat to choke, and when you have one company do a lot of pieces of that stack, it's much easier to pull off than when you have five, six, seven people. And if something doesn't work, they look for the mistake at somebody else and not themselves. And so I think we're getting there with Open RAN. We're, we're still in early innings. I think it's the future. This is this is how it's going to be. And as the technology matures, I think that vision of interoperability between different parts and different vendors will slowly, and the stress is on slowly, become a reality. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I, I think there's a lot of learnings that have taken place over the last few years. It is important to be part of the journey as operators and as vendors. And I think we're starting to see some additional vendors enter the mix, and that's that's exciting. You know, we definitely want to see the ecosystem grow, but those learnings have to be, you know, have to be learned by each participant. And so, we think our history in the space makes us a reliable partner as an operator is going on that journey. Well, you know, the last one standing is the most reliable, right? (laughs) So let me ask you a final question here. And this is another one of these topics that uh, seems to be kind of bubbling up here the last year around the area of open range. It's about the accelerator. 
on the actual service, particularly around you know the the DU portion of it. So there, there you know there's two camps out there right now. I would say. I mean, there is the look aside camp, and then there's the inline camp. Look aside, of course, you know has been very much driven by Intel while in line by others. What are your thoughts on that? I know recently you just announced, I believe, something with Intel as well. So do you have thoughts in terms of what's the outlook for the two different ones or even why this conversation matters? Yeah, we, we think it's a very important space. We're excited to see the different approaches that uh, ecosystem partners are bringing to the table. Look aside and inline, just like any other technology decision in our space has has a set of trade-offs, right? There is always a concern about getting locked into a particular vendor when the goal of moving to this architecture is to avoid lock-in. And, and so our view is really centered around the need for options. Samsung supports both inline and look aside architectures. As you noted, Daryl, we did an announcement just the other day with Verizon and Intel centered around Verizon's initial trial deployment of the new uh, of servers based on the new Intel fourth generation Xeon with VRAN Boost. So that's a that's a look aside architecture where the accelerator, the L1 accelerator is actually on the CPU platform. So it's pretty excited from the perspective of how that We'll, we'll simplify the overall architecture, take costs down. At the same time, inline approaches uh, bring a lot of value uh, just in terms of the sheer horsepower that they bring to a base station platform. And so we've done work with Marvell, for example, around inline acceleration for L1. And we view that as a, a perfectly reasonable approach that an operator may choose to adopt. And so, you know, our view is that when you move to a disaggregated architecture, Every layer should have options for an operator. And that CPU layer is is no exception. The accelerator layer should be a part of it as well. And so we're excited to see the innovation that's blossoming in that space. Now, we we probably can't manage an ecosystem where there are five, six, seven different players in that space. And so we may see it shake out a little bit. But but in general, we think look aside and inline acceleration both have a place in the overall ecosystem. Thanks. Fantastic. And again, look, I would like to uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to come onto the podcast and join us. Oh, happy to be here. Like I said, I love the pod. Thank you. Well, thank you. We love having you. Well, have a great day, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>